Welcome to episode 16 of Conversation Pace. My name is Brian Rossetti, I'm the founder of V.02. In this episode, I spoke with Mary Johnson of Lift, Run, Perform. Mary founded Lift, Run, Perform after speaking with several runners and realizing there was a need for personalized lifting instruction and guidance in the weight room, and that performance running and lifting should go hand in hand. In just three years, she's grown her private coaching group to 10 coaches. In this episode, we discuss getting into coaching, motherhood, her new routine postpartum, and how it has, quote unquote, completely changed her life, and how her experience has led to Lift, Run, Perform, and her coaching philosophy. We also discuss coaching during the pandemic, how she manages strength training for recreational runners, and our shared history, unfortunately, with sacral stress fractures. If you haven't crossed paths with Mary online, I highly recommend connecting with her on Instagram at It's a Marathon. You can find the link handle in the bio of this episode. I promise you her content posts will help you find joy in the process. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here's Mary Johnson. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I know it's a tough time, and so we appreciate you taking time. So how are you holding up? You're a new parent. You've got a business. You're managing athletes. It's a, it's a crazy time. So we, <laughs> we want to hear how you're holding up. How are you managing? Oh, I'm good. I'm, um, you know, I, I feel, I actually feel pretty lucky. And I think no one has a good situation right now. We're all, we're all dealing with something. Um, and as a new parent, I, I mean, that's my challenge is just kind of juggling life with a, a baby and like me, de- me becoming a new mom. And I mean, at this point, he's not a baby anymore. He's a little over a year. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, like he brings us some levity to the situation because he has no idea what COVID is. He's just a happy, <laughs> happy little baby. And I feel um, truthfully lucky that my husband is able to be home and working and like watch him grow up with me. So, you know, silver linings for sure. And that's from great. A, yeah. I mean, so you could, I could focus on all the negatives and talk about how hard it is to, to manage everything. But I think the positive is that it's forced, you know, more communication, it's forced compromise mm-hmm. and it's just forced a new way of life, which is maybe how it's going to be from now on. And that's okay. Yeah. So my wife and I are both, um, self-employed and that I agree the beauty is like you're you're always with the kids you don't miss much and then Mm -hmm. the the flip side of that is like sometimes you you need your space right Mm -hmm. Um, so it can be maddening in that sense and uh, I love some of the photos you post like when you're alone at the gym this is the gym in Connecticut Yep. So I work at Ramphone Training Systems. It's a small performance facility based in Hamden, Connecticut, which is right outside of New Haven. And um, we, you know, I've been fortunate enough that I have a key. (laughs) So I've been able to pretty much continue working out. Um, I did take some time, like right when COVID hit, I didn't go near the gym. Um, But I've gone back since April and then the gym opened to the public in June with special guidelines. So, um, yeah, I mean, my situation is very lucky and the fact that I'm able to have access to this, you know, gorgeous facility is something that I'm really thankful for. 
Yeah, I see those those images like with you by yourself in the gym, and it's, it's like ah, that looks so nice. We're we're lucky because we can go out and run, and mm-hmm. during the pandemic, that's been an amazing relief. Um, obviously, but parenting in this situation obviously is much harder too. Dealing with your own shit, and then you know trying not to to transfer that to your kids, right? While they're going through their own experience. But um, so yeah, what a, what a time to be a new parent. It's crazy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But you know, again, the, the great part is being able to like, my husband is a huge part of my son's life and my life, of course. So having him home and having him part of the picture, you know, instead of having him going into an office is awesome. And I mean, we, I joked with him early on. I was like, it's a great thing that we love each other because I really, I mean, I think things can get pretty hot if, if all you're forced to be with is the one person like that you married. And, um, luckily, you know, we really like each other. (laughs) So it's been a, it's been really good. And of course, like, it's not always you know, sunshine and roses, but like, it's, I'm lucky. And, um, he's an awesome dad. And it's, it's really like, I feel I've had people be like, how are you juggling it all? How are you doing it? And honestly, it's, it's with my husband and being able to be a team and like Mm. actually learning the definition of teamwork now. And I of course have mom guilt and feeling like, oh my God, I'm not doing enough. But like, and I, and I express that I'm pretty communicative with him and he's like, well, that's your issue. And I don't think that's true. So you need to work through that. Yeah. So, tough love, but I like it. That's good. That's good. Do you feel like you're more busy? Like during the pandemic, I felt like there, it should have been a more relaxing time in a way, <laughs> right? It was mm-hmm. stressful. It was, there was anxiety, right? So maybe relaxing isn't the right word, but I mean, I, I tended to feel like I was making myself more busy during that time and I don't know what that was about did was it as a business owner did you feel that way or you have you been able to kind of step back and take a deep breath and and say like just focus on what you guys do or do you find like there's been a little bit of a scramble um to adapt to adjust to this new climate definitely both I think when I I mean when I get overwhelmed personally I, that's, that's actually, it's funny you mentioned that, like, that's kind of the, the philosophy that I always fall back on. It's okay. What do you do? Why do you do it? What's your core Mm -hmm. values? And don't let that go. And so when it is that like scramble, oh shit moment, it goes back to like, all right, let's make sure the people that you're working with are highly serviced. They're doing really well. They're happy. They're supported. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what coaching's about. Um, and of course, like we've had to pivot a million times because of races being canceled and changing goals yeah. and everything that comes with with running and trying to be competitive in this environment. But, um, you know, it's, it's new challenges and it's also like the future of running is different right now. And if we're not able to pivot and move with it, we're not going to have a business anymore. We're not going to have athletes. So we have to. Do you, I, I love in your bio, it says find joy in the process. And you talked about like thinking of your core values because there clearly has been a big drop off um, in athletes working with a coach or following a training plan because races are canceled, right? So sure. I, I, I keep coming back to that with athletes in our network. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, why do you run and, and thinking of those those core values and, and finding joy in the process, whether there's a race at the end of it or not. Um, has that been a struggle with your athletes? Do you feel like many have paused things for now until racing comes back and, and they're sh- mostly motivated by these road racing experiences? Or do you feel like for the most part, people are hanging in and just training to train at the moment? Definitely the latter. We've been very, very fortunate in, in that, you know, our retention has been pretty high. We've of course lost some people who really just can't fathom running with a structured plan right now. Um, But I think because of our principles of how we coach and what we believe in, not just myself, but all the coaches under our umbrella, um, we've had a lot of people stay on. Now, of course, situations change. And honestly, like even I'll have people drop off for a few months and then come back. And I think as long as that communication is open and um, like my biggest thing is making sure the athlete doesn't ever feel guilty for the decisions they want to make about their running life. Mm -hmm. And so now more than ever is like, you should not feel guilty. You should not feel shamed. You should feel empowered to make these decisions around your running. And it's always going to be there. And so if if you want to take a break and not have a structured plan, then we should do that. And like, I always say to any athlete who ever pauses briefly with me, I'm like, just make sure you're checking in with me. I want to make sure I, I hear how you're doing. So nice. yeah, we've been really fortunate really. Um, and we've honestly had new athletes come on to, um, who are seizing the moment for finding new direction with their, with their running. And, um, like, you know, now is the time to have a virtual business. And it goes back to making sure that our principles as coaches are in line. And that is preaching that if you don't fall in love with the process, you know, there's really this racing part is 1% of this whole rounding picture. And even, even when races were here, 99% of the work was put into the training. And so the fact that there isn't necessarily an event really shouldn't change much. And so it's communicating with people to understand that too. Yeah, and, and races don't always go as planned. Exactly. You don't hit your goal, right? So it's, again, touching on, like, enjoying the process, what are your core values, and appreciating um, the process along the way. Um, so what about virtual racing? Have you found, like, that has been helpful? Are, are athletes staying motivated? Is there, like, a virtual fatigue at the moment mm-hmm. with athletes in your network? I think there's a little bit of everything and that like now, now is the time where people are really finding their, like figuring out their why. Um, I have some people who are highly driven from the, the virtual thing. I have people who have signed up for local stuff knowing it might not happen, but they don't care because they just like the idea of having something on the calendar. Um, I've had people who are signed up for socially distant races and I think Mm. there's no wrong goal right now. And, and, and finally there's people who just want to run and continue the process. So I I, like, it's really interesting because before 99% of the people we would work with had a race and now it's like, some are virtual, some have long-term goals, some are in person and some want to break. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to see what happens like in spring if the big spring races um, go. I really don't yeah. think that'll ha- they will happen, but I hope I'm yeah. wrong. No, I'm I'm in the same camp for sure. Um, I mean, I would I would hope, but I just can't imagine. Um, 
but I, I'm, yeah, I'm just interested to see if more people just get into the, if we just continue to, to see people kind of pause as well, probably a mix, as you said, you're, you're yeah. seeing. A little well, bit it's going to be challenge. really, yeah, it'll be really cool when races actually do happen because <laughs> I think everyone is running boom. I mean, seriously, it's, it's, I was just talking with a good friend last night about this because everyone or a lot of people that I know are kind of having these like effort <laughs> training cycles, but actually yeah. finding that they're really freaking fit right now. And I'm actually yeah. like, I would consider myself athletically part of that category where I'm kind of like, whatever, let's just go out and enjoy this. And as a result, we're feeling really, really good. So I think when races return, it'll be really cool to see what happens. Well, that's a good, that's an interesting point. And obviously we're seeing athletes set personal bests in virtual races and um, you see the reaction like, wow, I can't, you know, there's no totally. people are setting personal bests, but it's almost like racing can be a bad thing. Right. So yeah. two ways, right. There's so many races and it's hard to train if you're doing too many races. And the second is like, you see so many athletes in our industry where they kind of get stuck in that pattern of like the two or three marathons a year. And it's just this build up, you know, recover from the race. And then you're right back into the a build up again. And you right. recover. And it's almost like taking a break, you know, it's a good time, take a break or focus on something new, whether it's, you know, short, doing a mile, doing a 5k, um, you know, changing it up. Or in your case, uh, we'll, we'll transition here is, um, Focusing more on strength, right? That's mm -hmm. another interesting, um, this could be a great moment for athletes to sort of switch gears, focus on something new to keep things fresh and exciting. And um, it just, so postpartum, it looks like you're stronger than ever. So I'd like to hear a little bit how that all came about. Yeah, I mean, I really, I when I, I started struggling with a back injury, um, in 2016, 2017, and I got, I, I would say I also had cortisone aiding me along the way. And so when I was about halfway through my pregnancy, I started having like pretty intense SI joint pain and issues. And I can just imagine it's probably a residual of all of the weakness that happened back in 2016, 2017. Yeah. And so when I finally had the baby, I was hoping that it would go away because I, I hear stories of, you know, relaxing is crazy. And as soon as you're not pregnant, you're fine. But that was not my story. And so when I had my baby, I was in more pain than ever. And of course, with a lack of sleep, like for me, I, I get very inflamed and triggered by not sleep, not sleeping. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> It really got to the point where I was trying these little runs and they were just painful and miserable. And I was about four, three, four months postpartum and I just stopped and I reached out to my boss at the gym and I said, and, and I've never asked him for help ever. Um, he's just a very busy, like smart guy. I respect the hell out of him. And for the first time ever, I was like, Mike, I need your help. If you can't help me with this injury, I don't know who can. And I, at that point I was just like, you know, I'm not going to run anymore. And if I do, it'll just be slow and easy. And I think abandoning that 
the, any hope of running was the best thing I ever did because it meant that my goal was only to be pain-free. It didn't, mm. I didn't care what anything else was. And, you know, to relate that to runners, most runners don't ever take that time to step back and be like, you know what, I'm going all in on the strength because they're terrified of what they're going to lose with their running. And I had nothing mm. to lose. I'm postpartum. I didn't feel good. I wasn't feeling well. And I literally had nothing to lose. So I just went all in on the strength work. And it really did take some time. I would say three, four months was the first time I started feeling positive effects. Like the pain was starting to decrease. Um, and along the whole way, I was like, I'm still going to get cortisone. I met with a doctor and he wouldn't let me get cortisone until I continued on strength training. And mm. I was ready for my follow-up appointment. So fast forward, I'd say for four months at this point and probably the week before my appointment with him. And this would have been the appointment where he would schedule my cortisone injection. I, um, I, I woke up one day and I was like, I don't think I need it anymore, but we'll we'll see how tomorrow goes. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, I still don't think I need it. And then that went on for about a week and I went in and, you know, I talked to the nurse before the doctor came in and I was like, he's going to be really happy because he's right. And I don't want the cortisone anymore. I think I'm okay. And he comes in big smile on his face. And he was like, you know, I'm really proud of you. And like, he, it was, it was, it was a really good ending for me. Um, and so it, it quite frankly just changed everything about pain. And now it's transferred into the season of running. That's like, I feel awesome. I feel, you know, maybe I'm a little bit slower than where I might've been in 2016, but I just, I, I would never want to compromise how good I feel right now for speed. And I think, that's really like so many runners probably can relate to that because they don't ever take that chance of stepping back, considering that they can be pain-free for whatever thing they have, knee, hip, ankle. Um, and realizing that like this, if, if you can actually build up strength, you can, you can run even better and, and feel just so much better. And, um, I, I do have some athletes that I'm working with who are realizing that they've committed the time. They've totally stepped back. They're running, they're just running easy. And then their hard days are their strength. And sure enough, after two to three months, they're like, I think it's working. <laughs> so it's been a huge transition for me. And it's something that I, I feel, I mean, it's changed everything for me and I feel really happy, about it. And I think so many runners could feel similarly. And, um, you know, yeah, they just don't, they don't take the time. Like you said, right. like it's, it's the one thing between family work and running, then it's just rest. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's the one thing that gets caught, whether it's stretching or, um, so yeah. So it sounds like you're foundationally, you're, you're in such a great position, but not just like to grow and become faster, but also, like you said, I think the key point is you just feel better running, right? You have a, a positive association with the sport. So I think that's, that's huge um, for other people. I mean, I've been watching your social and it, and it comes through um, these changes and how it's sort of um, changed your like the, everything for you. Everything. It's empowering. I hope that's the case for many people who follow you too. And it sounds like it is. It's amazing. Is So postpartum, I mean, in your experience, for the most part, is it the, the common mistakes are just um, women coming back into running too quickly? There's this urgency to, 
you know, get back in shape for the most part. And now they've got a body that, you know, has changed and their weight is different. And then it's just, you're, they're leading to repetitive stress injury. So the focus should be more on strength. You're saying first. Oh, with postpartum. Absolutely. And I think, well, so there's part of the issue is that there hasn't been that many women's health studies. Mm. Um, and you know, I think in general, women's health is an area that's so, I mean, there needs to be so much work. A beautiful example is I coached someone, um, in Canada and she actually had a baby on the same day as me. And about, I guess now a month or two ago, she was like, Oh, I'm sad. I'm, I have to officially go back to work in a week. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I, and, and, you know, to go back is like at home at this point, but still, so her policy, her work policy in Canada was that she could have a 12 month maternity leave. Wow. And, um, there's, there's other things like in Europe, the standard pra- um, care practices, uh, practice of care is to go right into pelvic floor physical therapy. And that isn't standard here. In fact, most women in America don't know what a pelvic floor physical therapist does. So there's a lot of um, misses in our, I I guess, in our country and in general. Um, And there was a really great study that was put out last spring. So spring of 2019 um, that looked into basically postpartum women and return to sport. And for the first time, it suggested that women should potentially wait about 12 weeks to return to any type of impact activities, which is about double the time that was originally suggested. Wow. Um, And this study was pretty much focused on, um, you know, vaginal delivery moms, not even C-section and C-section, it kind of alluded as like, well, C-section mothers could potentially use more time to recover. And this is such a huge point of contention because a lot of women have gone back to running earlier and they're fine. Um, and I think, you know, where I stand, I actually, at this point, I don't even coach women who, um, in running, um, I don't coach before 12 weeks postpartum. Um, there's plenty of other things you can do to gain the strength back, but from a impact perspective, the, the research just points to tissues not being at their full elasticity and, you know, why jeopardize that type of health? Like to, yeah. to wait one more month, you know what I mean? In the big scheme of things, you could prevent an injury if you take four weeks to get stronger and then get back into running. So really, I, I don't think it's worth it to rush it. And the strength, there is so much strength that's lost during pregnancy. So, um, and I've seen moms and women who jump into it too quick and then six months later they're injured. And I you hate to see that because it could be prevented. Yeah, there's no good direction. I haven't heard the 12 weeks. That's interesting. I mean, it, it makes sense to me, right? Um, so that's that's great. Well, I look into it, yeah. the unfortunate thing, though, of course, is that there's still a disconnect between doctors and this. One, and of course, this is a one one study. So it was several PTs that did the study. Um, and so doctors still will say at a six week postpartum appointment, they'll say, you're good to go. So, you know, it's really, there is this massive disconnect towards doctors who are, you know, highly educated. They've they've done this for years. And then this one study that came out in 2019. So it's like, it's tough to, to justify, um, like what's the right path, but like, I don't know, I personally, I'm going to point to the recent science and research and that is within the past year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, so I, I just want to read off this one quote that I just read from, I guess it was one of your clients. One year ago, you had a brand new baby. I had a nine-year-old PR. We took hugging for granted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just think of where we'll be one year from now. It's almost like liberating in a sense, right? Even though we're living in such chaos and uncertain times, it's kind of like life's a roller coaster and we need mm-hmm. to roll with it. And it's kind of exciting to see where the heck we could be in a year. And it's mm-hmm. cool to see you just kind of, you know, taking the situation and making the most of it. And and now you're stronger for it. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about just how you got into coaching um, cause I think I grabbed a quote. I don't even remember. This was probably when I was preparing <laughs> to talk to you at the trials. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we didn't connect and then the world turned upside down. Mm-hmm. So now here we are in, um, in September. So, but the, the quote, uh, it was something along the lines of you just, you would have laughed if someone said that you would be a full-time coach. Um, mm. So I was curious why you thought that at the time, and then what were the the factors that that led you to um, getting into coaching? I mean, I don't think. Well, so my, my both of my parents are um, they've. They, they both work in education. They both have their PhDs. My brother has his PhD. So mm-hmm. education for my family has always been super important. Um, and the way I was brought up is, you know, you go to high school, you take your AP classes, you go to college, you get your internship, you, you do your big important job, maybe you go get your master's. Like that's the typical upbringing that I thought life was all about. It's this very stereotypical white privilege bubble. And that's when I graduated, I had the corporate life role, whatever. Um, and I was really unhappy Mm. and it took meeting my husband and seeing, you don't have to have that type of life to make me realize that, you know, I could do whatever the heck I wanted, even if I was graduated and, you know, I think in my head when I first started my career, I was like, well, this is it, right? Like I'm going to be in fashion marketing forever. It's not the case at all. You're still so young when you're in, I mean, you're young forever, but when you're in your twenties, like there's still so much out there. Um, so I mean, it was advertising or you were in the fashion industry, but it was, was like a marketing agency. Yeah. So I worked in corporate marketing for, um, for fashion, for fashion brands. And I did a lot of retail marketing, which was like in-store events and liaising with the stores. I did some advertising, um, but it was basically like brand fashion marketing. Um, and it was fine, but like, I really wasn't able to sit behind a desk all day. I was itching to get out and, and go run and go do stuff. And that was always like, I always knew I was a little bit different, um, you know, I t- trained for my first marathon and all my coworkers were like crazy. Um, so <laughs> Why did you train for your first marathon? What was running always sort of a constant growing up or no? No, I started, um, in high school, I joined the track team to get out of gym and ended up <laughs> really liking it. I met a coach. So I guess like, you know, going back to the original question, like the first I had dealt with coaches, but I was never really great at sports. So no coach ever had a great impact on me because I was very mediocre, if not less than mediocre. And it wasn't until running came along when I had a coach who for the first time ever was like, you could be great. And that was really empowering for me Mm. and um, ended up 
sticking with track for a couple seasons. And that changed everything because for the first time, someone really believed in me athletically. And I I went on to rowing college and um, it was good. It was fine. Um, And I had dreams of doing some sub elite rowing out of college, but rowing's complicated because you need a bow and water and there's a lot of logistics. And so I signed up for my first marathon because it seemed easy. I could just pick up a pair of sneakers and go out the door. And and I had done this track thing in high school. So I, I really liked running. I always felt pretty connected with it. So, um, so yeah, 2010 was my first marathon and, um, it was, it was great. It was, I, I met actually my best friend on the starting line. Um, we're still friends to this day. We kind of turned to each other and we ran 21 miles together of the Philadelphia marathon. Yeah. Um, and it, became, you know, I, I won't say that running was like the constant, um, post-college, but, um, when I finally decided to, to train for, I I really wanted to qualify for the Boston marathon. I hired a coach and again, like finally someone believed in my potential to go to the Boston marathon. Um, and I succeeded under consistent training and under a coach. So yeah, I mean, I think the consistent theme here is just having an empowering coach and someone who believed in me was a huge influence in my life and, um, coaching, like I ended up getting laid off from fashion and I was kind of like, that's it. I'm going into fitness and I didn't, coaching didn't come until maybe a year later and was working with James McCurdy and he was like, you know, you should really get into running coaching. And I'm so glad he did because I mm. it's definitely where I belong and what I love. And, um, here we are. It's, it's what I, I love to do. So the, when you create a lift run perform, I mean, the, it starts with lift, right? Um, but so that's always been there. Um, but where did this, um, so it seems like, okay, the lift has always been there. The strength component you've taken maybe to another level recently, which we, we discussed, um, right. But why lift first? And um, because it it sounds Mm -hmm. better or was that? It's intentional, actually. You're the first person who's ever asked me. That's I wanted it to be. I mean, there's a hole in the market. There's there's very few people who believe in this concept, not even hybrid training, because that's not really what I preach. It's more Mm -hmm. and. I guess I'm a a bit of a hybrid athlete in that I'm lifting pretty heavy and I'm running a decent amount of volume, but, um, just the, the pure fact of like stressing the importance of lifting as part of the running equation. Um, and I thought, you know, I did take marketing in college, so (laughs) lift needed to be that first attention grabber. And so that's why I decided to put that first. Um, and it, I was actually at a um, Wazelle bird camp and I did a presentation on strength training. And at one point we're doing a practical part where I had everyone, you know, moving around and doing some major movement patterns and I have everyone doing a squat. And I said, stop, raise your hand if you think you're doing the squat wrong. And almost all of the women there raised their hand saying that they did it wrong, but most of them were honestly doing it right. And that to me was a sign of like, people just need to be empowered to go out and lift mm. and, and do it and have a program and not just like hodgepodge ideas from magazines and Instagram. And I came home from that weekend and I made the website and, um, you know, quite frankly, the running coaching does take up more time. Um, and we have yeah. way more running athletes than lifting, but, um, the lifting is an area that I'm still very passionate about and, 
do want to continue to, to grow and change, especially now. But when someone signs up, is that part of sort of onboarding, like setting expectation that, listen, this is what we do. The strength component is not just, oh, yeah, do some strength twice a week and keep us posted. But here are all your running workouts and we're focused on the running. Is, is, do you guys really make that point or is it really just based on the individual? It, you know, it really is based on the individual because we, because the other argument is that yeah. if someone comes in and there's only 10 weeks to a marathon, I'm not going to throw a strength <laughs> program in your face. You know what I mean? Like, that's just foolish. So sure. like we're runner, running coaches first, but there is like the philosophy of like lifting as part of the training, not just a supplement. Yeah. That's really what we stand behind. Um, and the strength program that I create on a monthly basis is available for all athletes for 10 bucks. So to me, it was like, okay, if you don't want to, or you're not in a position in your training where you can put the strength in fine, but it's cheap enough that, and it's smart enough. Like the, the program is well thought out that you can add it and it's only 10 bucks. Like you have no barrier to, to go and do this. There's links to everything. There's videos to everything. It should only take 40 minutes at most. And like, that was the philosophy behind that. And I, I do have plans to make it more into a, you know, community, uh, community thing. Um, yeah. but you know, with all of that extra time in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about the strength portion. You posted something recently. Do you have do you have to lift to be a fast runner? Um, and this was a recent, I think, post on social media, right? And mm-hmm. um, I guess a big part of that is like gyms closing. Well, they're starting to reopen. We'll see how that goes um, across the country. I'm sure there'll be some opens and openings and closings and openings and half openings or whatever. Um, so how do you, how do your athletes typically manage? Is it mostly, do you cater just to do this stuff at home and what type of strength are we talking about? So you talked about how strength commitment in the last 10, 10 months has completely changed your life. Um, Mm -hmm. what type of strength are we talking about when, when we're talking lift and, and strength training? Yeah. So I keep it, you know, and I'll use the word generic and I hate that word because it sounds like it's like not good. But so I, I make a few assumptions with runners and lifting. I assume most runners have a pretty basic lifting, what's called training age. So training age is defined as basically like your exposure to training athletics in your life. Um, so my assumptions are your training age is probably pretty basic with lifting. Your, your priority is probably your running probably, Um, I assume that most people have the weaknesses of like a, you know, needing to work on posterior chain and core. And I assume you're probably going to try to work your program into your running. So you, you aren't going to, you're not going to touch it if it's a 90 minute program. Okay. So, so, so with those assumptions laid out, what I do with people is this basically total body program, which isn't different from what I do. I, I, I've never done any type of split. I do total body. Um, but the difference is that I now have 10 months of strength training under my belt. So with some people, um, 
you know, it's not that they're not progressing, but the same concept of like basic hypertrophy, which is just like continuing to build muscle over the course of however long they stick with it is the main theme. Um, so it's a two day a week program that I, you know, normally recommend. And now is a little bit different. If somebody wants a third day, then we kind of go down the custom road, which is, Mm. um, which is, which is totally different. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, like based on those assumptions, the program is meant to supplement running. And then typically I'll change it up if you're looking probably like four to six weeks out before a race. So, um, you know, that's not really the time right now. Um, but usually when races were going on, I would also send like a race program. The big change during COVID was adding the supplement of bodyweight workouts. So now I'll send out a dumbbell kettlebell workout, um, as well as a two-day body weight workout. And I make the recommendation, if you don't have dumbbells, do the body weight. If you have dumbbells, absolutely lift the weight. Like the rule of thumb is like lift weights if you have them. Um, but if you don't, then let's see what you got with, with a body weight. It's always going to be better than nothing, you know. What What has evolved since you started in the business when it comes to lifting? Like when I say that, I'm referring to um, – approach, you know, technique or types of exercises as, has anything changed a lot within that time frame, or is it, has it mostly been the same, um, since you started? It's been pretty much the same during COVID. Um, I turned it more into, you know, strict body weight because mm-hmm. no one had access. A lot of people did not have access to, to weights. Um, and moving forward, what I'd really like to do is create this an option of basically like community as well as like having coaching moments. Because I think also I I do very, like my first job in fitness was on the floor coaching form. So that's, if I spend 30 minutes with somebody, even virtually now they'll say, Oh, I was doing that all wrong. This totally Mm -hmm. changes it for me. So that's kind of where I want to go with it. So the answer is it hasn't changed that much, but I think moving forward, I see a lot of opportunity in helping people just have awesome form and, you know, having like when gyms do reopen, having the confidence to go in and being like, yeah, I'm going to dominate this squat because I know what I'm doing. And I can do that with one-on-one athletes because we have this video capability and I've had people work with me for at this point, six, eight months. And they've, I mean, they're, they've progressed so much. Um, when it comes to the more generic side, I'm not able to do that, but here we come to this conundrum of like, do runners really want to invest in the strength portion and their yeah. running? Co- do you know what I mean? So it, it like, I, I understand some people don't want to have this much investment in their strength because their priority is running. So it's at the end of the day, it's each runner's prerogative of what they want to do with their athletic focus. Um, but truthfully, even virtually the, the clients that I work with long-term strength wise are just doing incredible things and they feel great when they go out and run too. So it's working. So so virtually you're critiquing, you do sometimes um, get on with someone while they're at home and you're critiquing form and and posture, et cetera. Yeah. So I work, um, so I I do actually my lifting programs on a platform called true coach. Um, so, So the athlete can actually upload themselves doing the lift. And then what I will do, I use another it's all about technology. Yeah. I use another platform called Loom where I will basically uh-huh. put, put my face on the camera and I'll walk them through what they're doing and then I'll get up and show them and like 
we have this back and forth rapport of using technology. So I will do in-person Zoom sessions um, from time to time, but the biggest medium of how I'll virtually coach is through Loom and through TrueCoach and having the athlete film themselves. Loom, really? That's interesting. Our developer uses Loom sometimes to show us like a new feature or something that he's working on. Like this is how it's going to work. And he's like, I love it. Yeah, (laughs) me too. That's cool. I didn't realize. Interesting. Um, I'll have to look into loom a little bit more. Sometimes, Um, Sometimes I do loom. If someone like, if someone just has a long email to me and I feel like I can express what I need to get back to them more clearly, I'll just do a quick loom video, film it, send the link done. And it's, I mean, it's a total game changer. That's cool. And then what about like stuff that you generally have to push back on? What, what do you see when, when athletes come to you in terms of some strength, no, nos or (laughs) habits that you have to break or um, kind of steer people away from? Is there anything that kind of sticks out? Yeah. I mean, there's always people love their their orange theory. They love their CrossFit. They love their right. more, they love their more oxidative lift days. Um, mm. cause runners like what they like, what they're good at. Right. So they like yeah. reps and sets that are high. <laughs> um, yeah. and it's like, it's not that that's bad. It's not that you're not going to be sore. It's not that you're not going to maybe get stronger, but there's a limit to that. And so like a lot of it is explaining, like if you want to lift to perform, so like now we go into this concept of like, why are you doing it? Right. Like yeah. if you're doing it because you love Orange Theory, then by all means, go to Orange Theory and we'll figure it out. However, if you want to BQ, if you want to break through, if you want to have this huge goal, doing this type of lifting isn't going to point you in that direction. So like, yeah, where, what, what's your priority? And I, you know, that's what coaching is, is having these conversations and saying, like really understand what your priority is. Right. It's like the athlete showing up at like one of my workouts in New York city at night and they're like, oh, I'm not feeling good. And you, you kind of have that conversation like, Oh, it was the soul cycle class yeah, this morning right. where you went like nuts, you know, and it's really just, they, they like that experience. It's part of their, their routine, but it's not helping like what, what are your priorities? Exactly. So CrossFit, does that really fit in to your marathon training program? I don't know. I, um, I mean, it could, um, <laughs> to, to a point, but like it goes back to goals and like, especially if you are trying to hit something that's, you know, in that last 2% of your athletic, athletic ability for the time being, right. Cause yeah. our, our potential is limitless, but for this cycle, you want to reach that last 2%, maybe doing CrossFit isn't the best idea. And that's actually something we stressed a lot, our sub three project last year. Yeah. Thankfully, no one was into CrossFit. Um, Not saying that there's anything wrong with CrossFit, but it's just potentially (laughs) not the most conducive to, you know, breaking huge records. Um, And I know like, listen, the backlash is like, yeah, but I did it and I PR and I did this and like totally get that because but, but my my question in combat is like, how long is that going to last, right? Like, how long is that type of training going to take you to that next level? And and then what, you know? So, um, do you yeah. tend to see that a lot? Like, where athletes are in this position of the strength? I always say like, let's find that balance where the strength is 
supporting your running, not taking away from it. And, um, you know, do you find that, that that can be an issue or that's, that's more of a rarity. I think in, in many cases I'm, I'm seeing like, yeah, well, at least just do 20 minutes twice a day. Like you'll, you'll get benefits. That's all you need to do. But, um, then there's the flip side, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I, I laugh because it's actually something that I clash with my coach. I work with David Roach and we have many a conversation about my lifting habits <laughs> and, and I'm definitely that problem athlete for him. Um, but like, I'm not, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going and crushing my soul. Um, and I am pretty cognizant of recovery and, and understanding, you know, what's, yeah. what's not good. But yeah, no, I think in general, most people that I've worked with are pretty, you know, responsive to, to yeah. what their goal is. And then if, if we have that conversation, they realize, oh, this might not be the best way, understanding the difference between performance and enjoyment. I was going to say, I love, it's interesting, the, um, your experience in fashion and marketing, it, it really, you've created such a nice brand. Um, and then what's unique about it is this, this strength component and that emphasis. Um, so to, just real quickly, talk a little bit about who are your coaches and why and 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 how do they tie into um, the niche that you're really going after and how you've kind of grown your your brand? How many coaches are you up to now? So we have group? seven seven coaches. Um, we have one coming soon. Um, and then nice. we have a dietitian. Um, okay. So and the truth is that I didn't ever think this would be LRP would be what it is. Um, I thought it would just be me doing some lifting and running. And, um, it started with my good friend, Rochelle, who also wanted to start coaching. So in my mind, I was like, it's just going to be Rochelle and I will be doing this coaching thing. And, um, eventually someone else asked to come on. That was Katie. She's like, I want to be part of something. Can I coach with you? And I said, sure. And then, um, Kirsten Richie, um, I went on a run with her and, originally she was going to offer, she's actually a nurse practitioner with a focus in psychology. And she was, we were talking about having her do psychology and kind of sports psych for the, for the business. And we went on a run one day. She was like, you know, I'd really love to coach if you, if you would ever have me. <laughs> and then Kirsten came on and then, um, I had a conversation with Montana. And so, so the theme here is that people asked and I, and I'm just open to the conversation and, um, you know, thankfully, from the gift of social media, there's always been a demand, which is, you know, so, so amazing. And, um, what really, so like, I think it goes back to how I started in coaching and that is at Ramphone training systems. And Mike took a total, you know, leap of faith for me. I had no credentials. I had no experience. I knew nothing when I interned at his gym. And one time he was like, you know, Mary, you, you can't make good coaches out of people all of the other, the science, the programming that's acquired through education, learning and support. But the coaching part, you, you can't make that, you can't study that. And so that has really stuck true to me. And so whenever Mm -hmm. I talk to somebody, I don't care. I mean, yes, the science, the programming, that's all very important, but it's all learned and acquired. And also like a little bit of experiential, like background um, so everyone is going to have a little bit of a unique twist to the, their programming based on what they've been through too. That's inevitable. Yeah. Um, but the theme that runs true is just 
really good, passionate people who don't want to coach to get extra coffee money. They want to coach because they love it. And that's the most important thing. And so the, what typical athletes that, that you guys tend to attract and, and why at this point? Really all over the map. Um, yeah. I think for, and it, it's all a season of life too. Like right after sub three, we had a bunch of people who wanted to come on and break three with us. And <laughs> like if somebody, you know, has a great BQ and it's all over social media, we get a lot of people who want to BQ. So um, yeah. I, I, it's tough to say that there's a, um, like one group of people. I think it's, you know, for the most part women. Um, and yeah. I, I truthfully can't even say that it's one speed because it's, we have everyone and we have everyone all over the map from five, six hour marathoners to, to sub three to people who OTQ. That's cool. Very cool. So I want to just close with one topic because we sort of share this unique history um, and then it maybe sort of ties in all aspects of training, running and nutrition and, and strength. And it was interesting. You mentioned, you mentioned um, some SI or low back issues postpartum or during your pregnancy. Um, we both, I believe I've read this, right? Sacral okay. stress fractures. We both suffered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we've both been there. So I'm curious because when I started having symptoms that it went misdiagnosed for a while, um, and it, which I've heard as well, but it's pretty rare for me to, to talk with someone who's experienced this, um, in general, but so it went misdiagnosed for a while and then it was just really difficult to come back from. And then there's all the questions of, you know, what, what happened? What, what were the causes? And was it just a, a combination of a lot of different boxes that I sort of unchecked or mm. overlooked when I was mm -hmm. training? So just curious what your um, experience was and, and what you attributed to. I mean, <laughs> The sacral stress fracture was one diagnosis in a series of a lot of them. I think yeah. it's one thing that was very clear to me was that your pain is not represented through your MRI. And mm -hmm. my MRI showed a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, you know, edema in my sacrum was one of them. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it's, it's like one of those things like, I don't know if the pain was from that. I don't, I just know that something was up and, um, like I was very much belittled by, I went to a spine surgeon and, you know, he actually like belittled me when I, when I was like, oh, I still have back pain. He's like, yeah, it's cause you have a sacral stress fracture. Like it hasn't healed. <laughs> I was like, what? And he's like laughing at me. And I was like, this is not just like a casual wow. thing. I had no idea. Um, but who knows? Like, so my story is, I don't know. Like, I guess that was part of it because the MRI showed swelling in the sacrum. Yeah. It also showed a lot of other just crap. And I think ultimately my issue was just, I needed a break and I needed to not, I needed to not run so much and, um, yeah. Over, you overuse. Were, you were running. Was it like you were running the most ever during that yeah. time or it was okay. It was yeah. the most and the highest intensity. And and quite honestly, it was it was just too much. 
And so, what was your strength routine like at that time? Non-existent. <laughs> it was, okay. So there's that, there's the, the overuse. I mean, same thing with me. I was doing strength. I felt jammed like in my right glute um, mm. for a while mm-hmm. leading up to it. And so it was kind of like, okay, I've got this thing going on. I don't know what it is, but I, I can't miss training, you know? Right. <laughs> Things are going yeah. too well. So that was you know, big, um, red accent. Yeah. I remember not being able to sit down. Like I couldn't, it was painful just to sit in my glute because of just whatever referral of pain. But I had a moment where, because I kept sort of training through, um, where it, I felt it where I I could barely get back to the car once it Mm. happened. So I actually had like this moment where I guess, as I kept running through and, and not taking time off, where then it broke. That's what it felt like. Where mm. then the next couple of weeks, I couldn't sleep on the right side. I could barely, I had to sit down when I was putting pants on. And, mm-hmm. um, but I always look back and not just running too much, but also nutrition. My focus then was on like, just let's eat so that I can race as light as possible versus mm. Um, eating to support all the training I was doing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. eating for per- performance was, and this was 2004. And I feel like so much has changed from, mm. from, you know, then till now in terms of strength and nutrition, what we know and what have a lot of competitive athletes do. So, um, so yeah, just all those things I felt, obviously we don't know, but um it's just curious what your experience was. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've learned now through experience that above the knee stress fractures and stress injuries tend to be nutritional related. Mm. So I've also had a femoral stress fracture and again, it was, I I wouldn't necessarily, so I I point to nutrition during that time for sure, where like, I think I was under fueling and not realizing it. Um, but when the back stuff started, I mean, I, I just was, not strength training and overdoing it. And then I think the intensity was just much too high and it ultimately something had to break. And, and then I was able, I really was able to run through it. Uh, so running wasn't too much of an issue, um, until it was an issue. (laughs) And then I stopped. Do you feel like you still manage or deal with issues in that air, in that region? Because it's more of a biomechanical or um, 100% that you're always fighting, right? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. always the tender, like, it's, I, I think personally, and I don't know if you can relate, like, I, I have like a cross, um, like an anti rotation issue where yeah. this is the area that I just have a really hard time making it work right. <laughs> so I'm constantly, and I actually just did a workout in the gym and like one side, is just really hard to just neurologically turn on. And just once I really, really focus on it, it works, but it's a patterning issue for me, for sure. And I'm working on it and strength training has been the only thing that's helped. Mm, That's cool. Very cool. But but yeah, it is always kind of like tender. Like it feels good to have ice on it. It's not to say like, you know, it's, it's just like an area that I think we'll always, I think we all have those areas that we're just going to be working through. So do you guys have anything coming up, anything on that Lift Run Perform is doing, or you're just right now, you're just focused on um, individual athletes? 
we're focused on individual athletes. We don't have any um, virtual stuff coming up. Um, I have, I'm actually personally studying for the CSCS exam next month. Um, so that's been my big, I mean, yeah. trying to, trying to find time to study has been challenging. And at this point, like the date set I'm going, I don't know what's going to happen, but if I have <laughs> to retake it, I will retake it. Um, so that's really where my energy has been directed towards and in general, just kind of like keeping everyone happy and afloat. Um, we haven't done any type of virtual race series. Um, yeah, I think we're kind of holding our breath and waiting for the spring and seeing what happens. And I do think that there are races that are starting to come back. So it's, it's starting to be fun, um, from a in-person perspective again. But in the meantime, I think it's been cool watching people do actually really well without races. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's the silver lining is hopefully people have a different perspective and, and appreciation. And um, we appreciate your group and just watching you guys grow. So thanks Thank so much, you. Mary, for joining us and um, good luck with everything. Take care of that little guy and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. You too. Bye, Mary. Bye. Bye.